Shedding Shackles is sponsored by Roland Trujillo. Welcome to Shedding Shackles. Today's topic is the Eureka Moment. And now, here's your Shedding Shackles host, Roland Trujillo. Hello everyone, welcome. My name is Roland, and the program is called Shedding Shackles. Today I have a little message for you, and it's another in my series of messages about stress. What I'm trying to do here on this radio program, and what I've been doing now for the past uh, over 30 years on the radio, and in my books, and my YouTube lectures, what I'm trying to do is simply to awaken you to see for yourself. And when you see for yourself, what are you seeing in? You're seeing in the light of truth. Has nothing to do with with facts and formulas and proofs and anything else. It's just pure seeing. You just see and you know that it's true and you sigh a sigh of relief, and you receive it with joy. It's such a joy. It's something like the aha moment or the eureka moment, or it's kind of like getting a joke. You know, when somebody tells you a little joke or a little riddle, and then you you don't get it, you don't get it, and then all of a sudden, oh, I get it. Well, it's something like that. You just have to see. So when you listen to my program... Just listen calmly. Just listen. Let the words go in one ear and out the other. And maybe, maybe something that I say will be all of a sudden that little moment of awakening. A little moment of awakening. Awakening to true life. Awakening to truth. Awakening to realize that God has always been there. It's not that he went away. He's always been there. But you have just been apart from him. Now, how did you become apart from him? Well, that'll be something I'll be talking about now in this lecture. But it has to do with being shocked and being converted over to a sensuous life, a devolved life that revolves around the source of the shock. And what you need is the good countershock of truth to awaken you. You know, when Christ was upon the earth for his ministry, his words and even his mere presence was enough to awaken people. Yes, he was shocking, but it was a good shock for those people who loved the truth. And deep down in their hearts, they yearned for it And there it was. It was in him. And so now, may this little talk be a good, I hate to use the word shock, but maybe it'll it'll be an aha moment for you, or a few aha moments. And we'll begin to wake up and then begin to discover the true life that revolves around your Creator.
I've been around for many years. And during these years, I have consistently said that you have to find your Creator. You have to find Him and the life that comes from Him. The only life that you now know is the earthy, fallen life. A life that revolves around, around things and experiences and people and shocks. That's right, a life that revolves around shocks. You see, when a person is shocked by something that they see or something that they hear, and things that can be shocking are a millionfold, I'll just give you a couple of little examples. Here's one I heard. A man. His mom and dad, I think, were divorced. And his dad was always gone. And then his dad said, you know what? He said, let's go fishing, you and I. Let's spend a couple of days fishing. Just you and me. And the boy was so happy. He was going to be able to spend some time with his dad. And the dad said, I'll meet you at the cabin at such and such a time, and we'll go fishing. And the boy went to the cabin on the appointed day and time. And guess what? His dad never showed up. Well, that was a shock. A, a shock, a disappointing shock that hits right right in your gut. You know what I mean? After that, he changed. And his life then revolved around doubt. Doubting good, doubting God, doubting what's right. And building a compensatory life. Another example, a girl, and she was a young lady, and her grandmother died of cancer. And she was so angered by that that she lost her faith in God and she determined that she was going to have to be the one to try to save people and help people. So she became a doctor, which is a nice thing. But do you see the basis of it? It was based in shock and an emotional response to the shock. Another example, how many parents have had their, their child, let's say their son, their teenage son come home one day strangely changed their son who had been their loyal and loving son now suddenly is loyal to some neighborhood person who does weird things and their son now does weird things with this weird neighborhood person and their son is totally caught up with this person and now their son is loyal to that person how many parents have had that happen well it's it was based in shock now let's talk about shock for just a moment in perhaps uh, simple psychological and even basic physiological terms. Do you remember the old-fashioned kind of a camera? Which is not so dissimilar from the new type of camera, so just we'll think of a camera. So what happens when you take a picture? Well, the, the little aperture opens up for a very short amount of time a hundredth of a second or a thousandth of a second, it opens up. And the image, the outside image is imprinted in the inside, in the older kind of cameras. It's imprinted on the film at the back 
of the camera, an image. You know, like through the lens of your eye, an image forms on the back of, of the eyeball. But that image then is in the film, and then you process the film, and there it is, the image. Well, something similar happens when we're shocked. Remember in the Bible, it talks about their eyes being opened when they ate of the forbidden food in the Garden of Eden? Well, it's something like that. Something shocks you. Somebody's brazen sensuality or something that you see or something that someone does or something that they say, it shocks. And in that moment of shock, in a sense, you are held still to the shock. You're held, you're held still. And in that being held still, the aperture of your inner self opens and an imprint is made inside of you. And now that imprint, that imprint, that image of that scene, of that shocking person or word or deed is now in the mind. And around this shocking image, a sensuous life forms a devolving sensual life. It draws to it emotions to support it, you see. And also, it forms a life. See, this image represents a life. The person who does a shocking thing, they too have been shocked. They too have been penetrated. And it has formed in them, and now they are living it out. Do you understand that? They're expressing it and living it out. And so they're their mind, their emotions, their hormones, their, their movements, the things they say and do, everything slowly but surely becomes converted over to that shocking thing that happened to them. And then they represent it and they go out and unconsciously, they don't even realize often what they're doing. They represent that and lo and behold, they do something or say something and it shocks you. Now, why would something be shocking? Well, it's because, because you, were, you were innocent and unshocked. You hadn't been corrupted. Your pure inner self was awaiting, or should have been unfolding from, something of God. And from Him, then, a life would form. That's what your still soul was, was waiting for. But something went wrong, and instead of that, another imprint. They say that when a, when a baby duck or a baby gosling, whatever it sees, the first big animal-shaped thing that it sees, it is imprinted by, and that becomes its mother, and it follows it around. So normally, the little gosling, the first big thing it'll see is its mother, and then it follows its mother around. But if it happens to see a big, a great big... Um, I don't know, goat or dog, then it'll follow the goat or the dog around. It's imprinted by it. So this imprinting is also uh, related to this image that I was talking about. But now let's talk about being still. Have you ever noticed that uh, when something captures your attention, for a moment you're held still?
And have you noticed that when you fixate upon something, you become still? And so becoming temporarily without movement, being held still, that's the moment where you are imprinted by the shocking thing. So I think I've given you some hints about this. So what was it supposed to happen in the very beginning? From the very beginning, see, the little child is conceived in stillness in the womb. Then the child is expelled into, into the world and is born. And have you noticed that things are still? The stars are still. But they're not perfectly still because they're moving very fast, aren't they? But to us, they appear still. Have you noticed that the very center of a wheel, the very, 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 very center is still? Have you noticed that if you drop a drop of water into a perfectly smooth pond, when you drop the drop of water in, the center is still, but around it are waves, waves expanding out in concentric circles. So I want you to see that there's stillness and then movement. Now, the true life is conceived in stillness, and it comes from, from God. And this true life, it says in the Bible, we're made in the image and likeness of God. But you don't see it. God is spirit. And when you are still for him, what did God say? He said, be still and know that I am God. When you are still for him, then something of him can come in because you want him to come in. You want to have life from your creator. You want to have his approval. You want to have his light and his love. And so you are still for him. We love hearing from you, so keep the questions and comments coming. Our listener call-in line is 510-455-8851. That's 510-455-8851. Or email Roland at roland at sheddingshackles.com. This is Jeremiah Trujillo. I'm a pianist and played the music that you're hearing now, the Rhapsody in Blue by the American composer George Gershwin. Thanks for listening. I want you to see that there's stillness and then movement. Now, the true life is conceived in stillness, and it comes from, from God. And this true life, 
It says in the Bible, we're made in the image and likeness of God. But you don't see it. God is spirit. And when you are still for him, what did God say? He said, be still and know that I am God. When you are still for him, then something of him can come in because you want him to come in. You want to have life from your creator. You want to have his approval. You want to have his light and his love. And so you are still for him. But generally speaking, what are we still for? Well, we're still for our objects of fascination, our sensual objects that we fondle. We fondle our objects to get feelings from them, see? And we go off and we're still for them, aren't we? Yes. So now do you see the image? We want an image. I'll never forget one time I, where I used to work, there was a guy there and he was very perceptive. He said some very interesting things. One of the things he said one time, he said, when somebody smokes, he said, will somebody smoke in the dark where they can't see their smoke? And I guess what he was trying to say is that people want to see the smoke. They puff on the cigarette, then they want to see the smoke. They want to see the image, you see. And so we fixate upon the image and we ought to be being still for God and instead we're still for it because we want something for it. It becomes your God. See, the smoke. What do you want from the smoke? You want uh, relief from tension. You want relief from guilt and from anxiety. You want, see, what do you want from food? You want something from it. It becomes your God. You become still before your food before your indulgence, because you want it to satisfy you, it to fulfill you. You see what I mean? Where it should be our creator. But now what I want you to see is when this shock occurs, when we are shocked by what someone says or what they do, then the image is formed within of that, and a life begins to form around it. And then it is from it that we then derive our life. And because that becomes the source of our life, it then becomes the source of our looking to it for fulfillment. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say that you hate somebody. Well, hate is a shocking experience. So if you hate someone, then that is a shock. You look at them, you hold still and stare at them with hate. And in that moment of hate, of resentment, the imprint of them is formed within. But then after that, you have to look to them and that image memory for fulfillment. How so? Because now your life revolves around judgment and around hate and around anger. And if you don't have someone or something to judge and to hate and to be angry at, then you feel empty. And when you feel empty, you begin to feel nervous and the truth begins to dawn. And so you've got to find something to hate. But when you need it, when you are fulfilled by it in your new life of judgment and hate, then it becomes that which you need. And so you, you actually serve it in order that it may provide you with the cruelty or the shallowness that you hate so that you can judge it and then feel like a god. 
like a judging God condemning them for their ingratitude or their crudeness or their cruelty or whatever it is. So now do you understand? Now do you understand why we mustn't hate? And now let's take a look at this thing called shock. So I gave the example of the child that comes home changed. And what parents typically do then is they, they try to convert the child back. So they give lectures, they become emotional, they rant and rave, they become hysterical. But nothing seems to work. It only seems to harden their child, who is now doing weird things with some weird friend, harden the child in the child's rebellion or the teenager's rebellion. So the parent, the more that they frantically try to change the child, the more hardened the child becomes. And the parent might eventually be converted over to be just like the weird friend of the child. So what is it that we need? We need a countershock of truth. And the only countershock that is positively good and powerful enough to change someone, even the most hardened person, is the shock of truth, the truth from God. In other words, not your words, not your emotions, not your cleverness, not your rhetoric, not your bargaining, not your promises, nothing of you, just the plain and simple unvarnished truth that they awaken to and seeing the truth within. The truth is more powerful than the lie and more powerful than the shock. And in that instant, when they see the truth, in other words, if it penetrates and they're okay with it, in other words, they don't resent it, and they feel sorrow over what they see, regret over what they see, shocked by the truth of what they see, that they can't duck, they can't deny it, they see it, they see it clearly. And in that instant, change for good begins. Do you understand? But any clever technique that you use, any manipulation, any clever music, any clever schemes, any clever questions, any clever testimonials, any cl anything at all that has the hand of man in it, anything like that is not powerful enough. The only thing that you can do of your own, if you try your own cleverness to win the person back who has been converted over to something, the only thing you might do is convert them over to you. Then they'll become a slave of you. Really no better off. The only thing that is positively good for them is to be converted over to God's light of truth. Now, what can you do? Well, you can get your ego out of the way. You can get right. See, first thing is you, you have to be coming from a good place. And if you're coming from a good place, then you will see then that histrionics and emotion are not going to work. So coming from a good place, the parent then with firmness, with conviction, with persistence, with calmness, no emotions, no anger, separates, you know, the child from that terrible environment, that weird friend, and doesn't back down, doesn't vacillate, holds their ground, and does so with patience, but with firmness, 
with calmness, no emotions, no anger, and the child may recover from this weird friend, you see. But it's only because the parent is a good representative of the truth, and they have to be coming from a good place. It can't be phony. It can't be, you know, religiosity or goodness in name only. It has to come from deep within. It has to come from God. And then that person then is only a conduit. They got their ego out of the way. They became transparent. Good shone through. The words were simple, and the words were like arrows. Remember Cupid would, would shoot his arrow? The words become like arrows, and they fly straight to the heart of the person. And if they see the truth, and they don't resent it, and they can't duck it, and they know that it's true, change begins in that moment. It's very, very beautiful. So now you understand what shock is. Now you understand why the only cure on earth for such things is God's truth, which comes from him and leads to him to awaken you to see for yourself. And when you see for yourself, what are you seeing in? You're seeing in the light of truth. Has nothing to do with, with facts and formulas and proofs and anything else. It's just pure seeing. You just see and you know that it's true and you sigh a sigh of relief and you receive it with joy. See, but here's the thing, just hearing about religion, hearing about God, hearing about Jesus, is not enough. You have to experience Him in your innermost being. And what's blocking you right now from experiencing Him is undoubtedly resentment and being lost in your thoughts, lost in your daydreams and lost in your worries and doubts and fears. And so you have to learn how to stand back from those so you can get clear of them, okay? It's like being under the ocean, coming up to the surface, and there's the blue sky and the puffy clouds, and you take a deep breath of fresh air. That's what you need to do to come out of those daydreams that become nightmares. Rise above them and then find reality, the blue sky and the puffy clouds and where the birds are singing. And that's why I've made a little meditation, too. I've made a little meditation that has been very, very helpful to some people. It's been very helpful to me. And I think it uh, could be just what, what you need if you really and truly want to get better, okay? And find out the purpose for your existence and find out just where you've been going wrong and what's been blocking you from finding all the good things that life can hold. Until next time, Lord willing, and the Greek don't rise. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Shedding Shackles with your host, Roland Trujillo. Now you can listen to Roland anytime by logging on to www.sheddingshackles.com. You'll find lots of free, helpful information, and you can also order materials or make a donation by using your credit card. Once again, the web address is sheddingshackles.com. Please remember that Shedding Shackles is listener-supported. Thank you. Shedding Shackles is sponsored by Roland Trujillo.